Like, I'm going to preach about Christ coming and, and being the Savior of the world. That's what we preach every Sunday. Um, we're going through a series on the parables. And Jesus is talking and explaining and giving these parables, these, these made-up stories that convey a true reality. Like, there's a truth behind them. And so we're just going to unpack them, and we're just going to go, what is he saying here? I, I will tell you. As, and, and the church voted on which parables I'm preaching. So this is the, la, this is the seventh you know, parable for me to preach on. And, and I will tell you, I have to line it up somewhat with Christmas. <laughs> and um, this was a little bit challenging. So we're going to be going through the parable of the wicked tenants today, um, this evening. And so, but, but I think, I think as we do it, I think you'll see that, in fact, it's a, it's a great Christmas message. Um, and in fact, if you saw the slide, the, the image that we have for E.V. that says, finally, he sent them his son. And that's, and that's the point. That's what, that's what God does. He, he sends his son, and we celebrate Jesus in the manger. We celebrate his birth, and we kind of just leave it there like we just heard that spoken word. Thank you, Liz, for sending that to me. <laughs> um, we keep him in the manger. He's much more docile. He's, it's much easier to handle a religion that just keeps a baby in a manger and, and you got to believe that he was the son of God. And you're like, yeah, okay, sounds good. But what Jesus walks through in this parable is, is a real confrontation. It's, it confronts the distraction and the diversions that Larry talked about of our lives, of all of our lives, Right? Because we live, and God created us, and he knit us together in our mother's wombs, and he created us for a purpose. These are all things that you guys would all go, yes, true, but I'm busy tomorrow, and I got things going on, and I got to make sure I'm doing these things, right? And, and we just, we have this balance. And so this is, this is where, what Jesus is going to speak to this morning. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Um, I'm going to just read through the first part of this. The verses aren't going to be on the screen for this first part, and then we're going to jump into it. If you have a Bible, they're scattered around. If you want to get up and grab one, uh, or you can open up you know, the Bible app on your phone. Um, I think we've got a Wi-Fi. I never say this, but I think we have a Wi-Fi that says TCC Guest, I think, maybe. It, it, you can just log on to that, too, if you need. I mean, I guess there's service here, too, but anyway. Um, all right, let me, let me start reading here. Matthew chapter 21 Verse 33, Jesus says, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it, and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. 
And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for these words. As we study your word, God, I pray that you would help us to to receive it just as that, that it is your words given for us. As Jesus spoke this, there's a truth in here that you want us to know. I pray, Father, that this wouldn't just be something that that we hear and, and pass by, but that we would dwell on this and reflect on it, allow it to penetrate our hearts, open our eyes and open our ears, Father. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Matthew twenty one thirty seven. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. And this is, this is Matthew, all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all have this exact same parable. And it's all in the same context. And you can go look it up. It's in, it's in uh, Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 20. It's the, same, it's the same thing. There's some minor variations, which, again, I think if, if you've ever heard me say this, I think the variations in the Gospels lend us to understand them to be authentic. Because if I was a religious person and I was just trying to make sure everybody agreed, I would just align those things over the last few centuries, right? And I'd make them all say the exact same thing, but they don't. And so you get these different... Uh, you know, what did Matthew hear? What did Mark hear? What did Luke hear? And they each hear things just a little bit differently, but the truth is the same in all of them. And they each capture this parable in the exact same context. Like when Jesus, some of the parables, right? Like, like Luke organizes his parables a lot of times where he does it thematically, but all of them put this parable in a sequence of events. And there's, there's two real events that happen prior to this. Uh, the first is that Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. You guys know about this, right? This is Palm Sunday. This is just prior to Easter. This is what's happened just prior to this. Jesus rides into town and into Jerusalem. And in Matthew 21, 9, it says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That wasn't, that wasn't just out of nowhere. That's, that's a psalm that they were singing. It's Psalm 118, verse 25, specifically. It says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Save us, we pray. That's Hosanna. That's what that means. If you look at the Hebrew, that's exactly what that means, right? And so, so what, what they're saying is Jesus is walk, riding in on the donkey, on a pitiful little donkey, right? They're screaming at the top of their lungs, laying down palm branches, treating him like a king, saying, save us, please, or save us now. It's this emphatic plea, like this is our hope, this is our rescuer, because, and this goes back a bit, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but Israel thought that the Messiah was going to come and, and overthrow Rome, and overthrow the oppression, and overthrow all those things, and they were going to have, like, Israel was going to become this kingdom, 
on the earth, like a material kingdom with armies and, and supported by God. And this is what they thought. But Jesus doesn't come to do that. He comes to overthrow their religion instead. Look at what it says in Matthew 21, 13. So that's the first event. He, he rides in, and then in Matthew 21, 13, he, he, he goes through, and you guys probably have heard this story, and he just overturns the money changers. He, he, he goes through the temple, and he's, and he's righteously indignant, right? Is that the word that we use so that we don't say that Jesus was angry? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a selfish, it's not a prideful anger. He's angry because of what religion had done. That's the problem. So Jesus doesn't come in to overthrow Rome. He comes in to overthrow the religion. Look at what he says in 21.13. says, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. You see, they had turned, like, the Old Testament law, and we, we read through this in the past year, right? The Torah, and like, you know, they had like, Hey, you have to give a sacrifice for a dove if it's this, and, and uh, a lamb for this, and all these different things. And so then what they do, they, they monetized it. And I'm like, it's fine. Like, we're, we're trying to help you. Here, buy this dove from us. Here, buy this. And so it, it just became this thing. And I, honestly, I don't know. I don't feel like the, there was, I mean, I don't know. I didn't live then. None of us did. There's a lot of judgment that we throw back on them, but I, I feel like we kind of do the same thing. Now, like it's just kind of part, in our, part of our nature. Like we, we get this thing and we're like, God gave us this beautiful thing and then we just kind of like, we just mess it up. <laughs> and he gives them the temple and this worship and this beautiful law and they end up just, their sin and rebellion just monetizes it, turns it into a business and, and Jesus is fed up with it. And so he overturns the money. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke all document this and, and so what's the reaction the reaction is in uh, Matthew 21, 33. You've got all these religious folk there. And, sorry, uh, 21, 23. It says, And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? That's the question. Is Jesus an authority? Is he an authority in your life? And if so, who gave him that authority? Who sent him? And so Jesus responds to this with the parable. So this is, they all say the same thing. Jesus rides in on a donkey. They think he's going to rule, like reign and, and, and overthrow Rome. And he goes into the temple and he tells them everything that they've been doing is wrong. And so you've got all these religious people going like, this can't be right. Who, where's your authority Tell me your authority. He goes, let me tell you a parable. Matthew 21, 33. He says, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Okay, so here's the landscape. This is what he sets up as, right? Like, I get it. We don't really relate well to this uh, metaphor, this story, right? But for them, this was super clear. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. It's just a business enterprise. It's like if you have a rental property, right? Like you have the property, you invest in it, right? Like we used to have a, well, we do have a rental property in Panama City. And like for a little bit, I was really, I'm like, I made sure there was a good lawn care people. And then as the years moved on, like I started kind of 
like not caring about it quite as much, right? And so, so this is what he's doing. He's, he's built a wine press and a fence, and he planted a vineyard, and he's done all these things. And then he, he goes, hey, there's some tenants. And he's like, you guys stay here, work my land, right? I'll, I'll, I'll produce, like this is, a, this is a contract. It's good. There's nothing unfair about it. Everybody's, you're working and living, and maybe he's paying them, paying them, and they agree to do it, and it's, it's, but it's his property. So there was this, like, shared purpose. It was a shared purpose, right? Like, the, the landlord, it's like, you're going to produce fruit here. Like, I planted the vineyard. You, you guys do what you need to do. And I'm going to, like, but it's still my fruit, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to come back and get it. But you guys do this. I'm going to do this. It's, it's a totally fair agreement. And then he says in verse 34, when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. If you get your Bible open, underline that his. It's his fruit. It's not their fruit. The tenants aren't all of a sudden just like teleported into another universe where they're like, this is my vineyard. They know it's not theirs. It never has been theirs. It was given to them. It was a, it was a blessing to them to be able to like hang out. I mean, I don't know. If you paid me to like go work in a vineyard and like, I don't know, just... I'd probably do it. I don't know. It'd be kind of fun. I don't know. Maybe for a week. But there's a partnership. It's a contractual partnership, right? You guys with me on this? Like this is, there's nothing, there's nothing weird about this. And so let me, let me pause here for a second, right? So Jesus is giving this like parable, this story, and there's a, it relates to a true reality. So who's the landowner? Who's, who's the person that's, that's building the wine press and all this? What do you guys think? Come on, come on. It's God, right? God, Jesus, Bible, those are the three answers that, you know, are probably going to be right. So it's God, right? And so here's, so God's the landowner. And who are the tenants? Right? Like, there's a shared purpose. See, and, and Israel, the, the Jews would have understood this even more clearly. In fact, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 5, Listen to this in, in chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. This is, this is um, Isaiah speaking. It says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. So this is, this is like Isaiah to God. Listen to what it says. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. Is this sounding familiar at all? And he hewed out a, vine, a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And Isaiah used that as a judgment. And this was, this was a long time prior to Jesus coming, right? And, and he used this as a judgment, like going, your purpose isn't lined up with God's. Like, like, God created this vineyard, and here you are producing wild grapes. Not, not, not the grapes for actual wine that, that would be good, but you're producing something wrong. You're producing something, but it's not the right thing. You guys with me on this? You guys see this? So, so, this is, this, so when Jesus starts talking about this vineyard, everybody's like, uh, I, I know where you're going with this. You're going to tell us we're producing wild grapes, and, and we should be producing better grapes and whatever, right? And so this is kind of where they're starting to think. And so in both of these instances, producing wild grapes or not adhering to this contract, like 
we got we to gotta ask ourselves, do we have a shared purpose with God or not? And this is what the world asks every day. What's my purpose? Right? You gotta, it's not to do your job, I'll tell you that much. You guys know that's true. We pretend like that's true, but we know that's really not our purpose. And once we get fired, or we quit, or the business dissolves, or we retire, or whatever, all of a sudden, really quickly, we realize that that is an insufficient purpose for our lives, right? Or we're no longer capable of doing the job, or whatever. Like, just like that, it's like, what was my purpose? If you're a teenager in here, right, you're starting to think, and you're like, what's my purpose? Where does God want me to, what's, what's my purpose? And we, we wrap ourselves around this over and over in knots, but we all have the same purpose. And I'm not saying this in some like, you know, kumbaya, we just, you know, let's all just do the same thing. Look, look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul describes this, and I, man, I just, this, is, this verse is growing on me to be, I just like it. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our job. That's it. We're ambassadors for Christ. Wherever you work, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, you're an ambassador for Christ. You represent Christ. Poorly. Me included, right? But, but we are called to be ambassadors of Christ. And, and what is it? God is imploring. He's making an appeal through us to those around us. Be reconciled. Come home. Come back to God. That's what he's saying, right? So somehow in the way that we live and, and how we interact and the, the conversations we have and whatever, the nine-to-five job we're, we're, we're working, like, in the midst of that, we ought to be appealing. Like, God is using our lives to engage other people. You see that? Like, and this is, and what does he say at the very end? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is, that's the gospel, right? That, that Jesus took on all of our sin and gave us his righteousness, that's, what, that's the appeal. That's, that's what God is imploring for people to know and to understand and to embrace and to trust Christ. Because without that, it's self-righteousness. Without that, you're trying to work your way to God. Without that, you're trying to please God. And everybody in this room, you can look around. You're all sinners. We're all sinners. You're never going to do it right. You're always going to mess up. I don't care how old you are. You're still messing it up. I mean, I'm guessing. I'm 44, so... Maybe at 45, I'll figure it out. I don't think so, though. We know this to be true. So how am I ever going to, what am I going to do with my sin? What are you going to do with your sin? Christ offers to take your sin. That's what God is imploring us. Place your trust in Christ. And so this is our shared purpose. And so when God looked at the Pharisees and the elders, and he's like, your purpose is not to make money in the temple. Your purpose is not to find some self-gratification where, where people adore you or where people respect you. That's not the purpose. 
And your purpose is not. And my purpose is not. Back to, the, uh, back to the parable. And so, so this is the context. He's like, there's this shared purpose, right? Matthew chapter 21, verse 35. And the tenants, sorry. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. This was an unexpected twist to the story. Right? Everybody would have been sitting here going, yeah, vineyard, yeah, we're making bad fruits. And then, and then like the landowner sends some servants. They're like, okay. And then they beat them and kill them and stone them. Whoa. <laughs> what happened? Why? What? Wait. Why would they have done that? In fact, the crowds, like Jesus lures them into this. It's actually really cool. Like if you go back through and read the parable, like at the end of this, the whole crowds are on Jesus' side. They're like, yeah. Get rid of those tenants. And he's like, that's you. And they're like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming, right? I mean, that's what happens here. Because they're trying to, like, why would they respond that way? Why in the world would they do that? You see, they knew what their landowner's purpose was, that he was going to come and get fruit, and that they, you know, that they were going to produce fruit. And like, this was... But they didn't want that. What did they want? They wanted to stay at the beach longer. They wanted, they, they wanted the landowner out of the equation, right? Let us be free. Let us be independent. We want to just have this fruit. We want to enjoy the, the vineyard that we did not plant. We want to enjoy the wine press that we did not build. Thank you. Man, that doesn't hit home. I don't know what does, Right? Like, this is a beautiful world we live in. We all have automobiles and refrigerators and garages. Well, I don't have a garage, but most of you have garages, right? Like, we ignore that. Anyway, we have all these things, these luxuries. They're luxuries. You all went through your closet, picked out clothes tonight, didn't you? Which means you had at least two choices. That's more than nine. And so we, we take these luxuries and these comforts and all these things, and we just, we just kind of, we take them, and we're like, thanks, they're ours. And God's like, no, 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 I, I put you here for a purpose, a shared purpose. Don't, don't abandon me out of this. Don't, don't take the land over, out, landowner out of the equation. So who are these servants? So this is the parable, right? It's an allegory. So we know who the landowner is. We know who the tenants are. Who are the servants? Who do you guys think? Any guesses? The prophets, yeah. Yeah, it's the prophets. Go, go to Jeremiah chapter 35. And this is, this is, oh, by the way, why the prophets and the Old Testament is so valuable because it tells us this, this whole parable takes place over the history of humanity, right? And so, like, the prophets are just part of this whole thing, right? So, um, Jeremiah chapter 35, verse 14. I'm actually going to start in the second part of that, because the first part is in a different kind of context there. He says, I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. This is God speaking to Israel. I've spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them 
persistently, saying, turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to serve them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to you and your fathers. But you did not incline your ear or listen to me. So God sends the servants. God sends the prophets and says, hey, amend your deeds. Like, like be reconciled to God. Be about, be about this shared purpose. This is, this is where you're going to find joy, right? We just sing joy and peace. Where do you think those come from? Those come from being in a shared purpose, being in, like aligned with God's purposes in our lives. It's not like it's a magic formula, and it's not like everything's going to go right. But even when things go wrong, in God's purposes, aligned with God, reconciled to God, you'll have peace, I promise you. You can have joy and be upset. You can have joy and be sad. It's okay. Circumstances happen. But there's this intangible peace and joy that God gives us, that he wants to give us now, so that what? So that others would see us and that we would be ambassadors for Christ. And, we go, and they go, why, are, why do you have so much peace in all the chaos that's going on in your life? And you're like, well, because I know God's sovereign and he's going to work these things out. And I'm not worried about my eternity. And God's growing me in this one way or another. And God appeals to those in your presence through you. And so this is what Jeremiah is saying. He's like, like, like live for God's purposes. Like their, their purpose had been hijacked, right? And they were about their own. And they're like, I don't want this landowner anymore. I, I'm cool with the vineyard. Good, that's all I need. I don't need God. I don't need the landowner. So look at what the landowner's response is. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. Finally, he sent his son. We want to be careful when we take these parables, right? It's not all like a one-for-one one type of thing, right? Like, like not everything has some sort of correlation. But, but isn't it irrational that the landowner sent a group of servants, they beat, killed, and stoned them, and he's like, I'm going to send more. Like, clearly they didn't understand the contract after the first cycle. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't the landowner just go at that point and go like, hey, what are you doing? Get off my property. Like, you're no longer my tenants. Like, that would be, that's how, right? Somebody doesn't pay the rent. Like, hey, here's, here's how this is happening, right? But that's, that's not what he does. What does he do? He sends more servants. In fact, if you look at Mark and Luke's version of this, it's like over and over and over again. The landowner is so patient, so patient, waiting for the tenants. And what do you think the servants came up to the, and said when they knocked on the door? Hey, so-and-so sent me. That's what they would say, right? The landowner sent me to tell you, look, <laughs> right? Like that, that's what's happening over and over again. And the landowner just keeps sending servants. And then, and then he says, finally, what's he going to do? He's going to send the son. They're going to respect him. You see, that's the problem. It's a respect problem. That's, that was what that conversation was. <laughs> Why don't you listen to your brother or sister? Because I don't respect them. <laughs> That's why. Why didn't I listen to my mom? 
<laughs> right? Like, it's a respect problem. You see, you don't, have to, you don't have to respect the baby in the manger. But you do have to respect the king. You see, it's easy for us to not respect the baby in the manger. It's easy for us to say, oh, it's a cute little baby. There's no challenge to us. And so that's the problem. And so when the landowner says, I'm going to send them my son, like, he, they have to respect him. He basically owns the vineyard. When I die, he owns it. Like, it's, it's his. They're going to respect him. Now, don't, don't take this to be, God clearly is omniscient, right? He isn't this landowner going, I wonder what's going to happen, right? So, you know, these are parables. They aren't meant to be perfectly aligned, but... But look at, and we, we know this, right? And you all have this verse probably memorized, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, God sent his son. Finally, God sent his son. It's this final appeal. It's, a, it's the final appeal to us. Like, hey, be about my purposes. Be reconciled to me. This is where you will find joy and peace and contentment in this life and eternity. This is where you stop working to become righteous and just accept the righteousness that Christ gives you. That's what he says. That's what he's communicating. Go to, go to Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You see this? This is the same message from Isaiah and Jeremiah through Jesus in this parable, all the way to Hebrews. He's like, I'm imploring you, be reconciled. Have a, an aligned purpose with God. Stop trying to fish around and become distracted and have your attention diverted to all these amazing, great, shiny objects that we go chasing after. Verse 38. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And this is Jesus saying this before this has happened, right? He's got like a day left before they're going to actually kill Christ. And so this is a prophecy as he's explaining what's going to happen. And, and again, the audience and the crowds are like, this is ridiculous. This, this story went off the hinges. Like, there's no way that any tenants would do this. And you can go back and read verses 40 through 46, and you see that the crowd judges themselves. They go, this is not right. It shouldn't be like this. So when the sun shows up, they're, they're probably presuming the landowner's dead. And so they're like, because now the sun's showing up, and so he's the heir, he's now the owner, let's, let's kill him. And, and what will we then get? We will get the wine press, we'll get the vineyard, we'll get the fence, we'll get all these things, and we will finally be free. 
we will finally be independent from the landowner. Success. Success. That's what they're thinking. Isn't that what the world tells us? You define your own purpose. You define the things in your life and you live whatever you were meant to be. No, God, God says be about his purposes. Forget the rest of that. Forget where you go and what you're, like, what's your purpose? To be an ambassador for Christ. You see, our response isn't violent. <laughs> it probably would be if we lived 2,000 years ago, but our response day in and day out isn't violent to God. It isn't violent to Christ. We just disrespect him by leaving him in the manger. Right? We just go about our business. We check in every Sunday. And then we keep going. It's not an aligned purpose. It's not a shared purpose. And this is, this is for all of us, right? Like, like, this should be our life's adventure is to go, oh, I, I want my purposes to be aligned with God's. Like, I, I want us to have this shared purpose because I know Scripture tells us that this is where I will find joy and peace and contentment, not in the, the temporal, carnal, fleshly things that fade and go away. We know this. We've, if, you're, if you're greater than 20 years old, you've experienced it probably. And if you're not, you will. Because we know these things aren't worthy. He alone is worthy. Isn't that what we just sang? You see, these Christmas carols aren't Christmas carols. They're, they're worship songs acknowledging who Christ is. And he alone is worthy of our respect. So let us not go down this path this Christmas and go like, I don't want the landowner here. I don't want I want to be free. I want to be able to do what I want to do. No, that's not it. Have an aligned purpose with Christ. With God, be ambassadors. And that's our prayer, that, that as God makes his final appeal to us through his son. Understand that. It's his final appeal. There is not another. When Christ comes back, that's it. That's the end. Is get this. This baby in the manger is God making a final appeal to us. Please be reconciled to me.